0: Hey everybody! So good to see you. Thank you for fighting your way through the snow and the wind and the ice. How many? How many would agree with me? Enough snow for this year. Raise your hand. Say amen. How many want more snow? <laughs> That's. I'd have All right. Good morning to you if you're watching online. Really lovely to have you with us, greetings and, uh, and welcome. And uh, I've got these with me, because you can probably hear from my voice. Um, I've got this cold thing going on. So if you meet me out in the hallway, in the words of Sting, don't stand so close to me. <laughs> what really matters? What really matters is our theme. We're continuing this exploration through the Gospel. Of Mark, and here's what we read about the Last Supper, Mark 14, 17. In the evening Jesus arrived with the twelve, and as they were at the table eating, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you eating with me here will betray me, greatly distressed. Each one of them asked in turn, am I the one? He replied, it is one of you twelve who is eating from this bowl with me, for the Son of Man must die As the Scriptures declared long ago, but how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him, it would be far better for that man if he had never been born. And As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it, and then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and they all drank from it, and he said to them, this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. And on the way, Jesus told them, all of you will (coughs) desert me. You will perhaps know that we British people, we love our traditions and our ceremonies. Many of them are utterly mindless, and we don't actually know why we do them anymore. But perhaps the most important uh, ceremony, ritual, um, in, in British history is the coronation, the coronation of a king and queen. The English ceremony has not changed for a thousand years. It always happens in Westminster Abbey, and as you can see from this picture, it's a time of great joy. (laughs) <laughs> King Charles III is sitting there going, I've waited 50 years for this and now I have to wear this stupid hat, that's what, that's what's going on. I just want you to imagine it's Westminster Abbey and, uh, and the coronation is taking place and millions perhaps are watching on TV from around the world when suddenly ten rows from the back of the abbey someone stands up and interrupts and says, hey, this is boring. Don't like this much. Why don't, we, why don't we mix it up a bit? Why don't we change things around? There, that would cause quite a stir. Well, in this Passover meal, Jesus, he didn't say it was boring, but Jesus definitely changed things up, and it would have been shocking. You see, this was the Passover meal. It's the most cherished ceremony in the Jewish year because it celebrates the most important moment in Jewish history, the Passover when when God delivered His people who had become slaves in Egypt. Thousands, some say ten thousands. The ancient Josephus says millions, but we think he was exaggerating. Many people came to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And the most important moment of that most important week was the Passover meal. The Passover meal. Cups of wine were served and then there's the food. The lamb reminded the Jews of the blood that was splashed on the doorposts of the door that, that epic night. And the bread reminded them, unleavened bread, reminded them of the haste with which they had to leave Egypt. They didn't have time for the bread to rise. And the bitter herbs, the bitter herbs, by the way, why don't you people pronounce the H? (laughs) Herbs? Herbs? That's horrible. (laughs) That was silly, wasn't it, really? The bitter herbs, That spoke of their suffering as Pharaoh's slave. You see, the Jewish Passover looked in two directions at once. It looked back to the epic Exodus event. It looked forward to the final consummation of the kingdom when Messiah would come. And Jesus is having that meal with his friends. And this is not an overstatement. Wonderfully, he hijacks it. He hijacks it. He has the right to do that. And instead of looking back to the Exodus, he looks forward to the cross. And instead of the Lamb's blood, he speaks of his body, the bread representing it, the wine, his blood. Now there's there's so much here. We could talk about communion, which we're going to celebrate later. We could talk about forgiveness, we could talk about servanthood, because in John's rendition of this story, Jesus washes the feet of his disciples before they eat. But I want us to focus this weekend on the theme of what really matters. What really matters? You see, it's his last night, Jesus' last night with the disciples. It's... The time to summarize, to reaffirm, to take care of business. Psychologists have identified something called the recency effect. Now maybe it's screamingly obvious, but the recency effect is a cognitive bias that says the items, ideas, or arguments that come last in a list of things, they are likely to remain with us more clearly than those that came earlier. In other words, it's the last night, so when we look at this meal, we can see what really mattered to Jesus. And I want us to notice that he chose to reinforce the, what really mattered by participating in a mini-drama with his friends. He didn't just tell them, but they share in this drama together. I've done some, um, some touring with a theater company in the UK that have dramatized some of my books and we've toured around the country and um, we bought them here as well. And every now and again we've done one of these evenings and a rather sniffy Christian has come up to me and they have said, what's all this drama? What's all this theater? We don't need drama or theater, we just need the Word preached. Where do you find this creativity in the Bible? And I've said, well, without sounding like Julie Andrews, let's start at the very beginning. In the beginning, God created, right at the start. That's why, ultimately, I believe that church should be about words spoken and poetry shared and dance danced and sculptors sculpting and artists painting. A multicolor expression of the news that so often has been reduced down to words. Did you know that before the Passover, because it was unleavened bread, before the Passover, the father of the house would lead the entire family searching the nooks and crannies of every house, looking for leaven. Looking for leaven. Now, why are they doing that? They're they're wandering around the house, participating in the drama. Did you know that at the feast of Sukkoth, the tabernacles, instead of telling the family that the Israelites lived in tents, the whole family would sleep out in a tent for seven days. Why? Because they're not just hearing about the idea, they're participating in the feeling. And that's what this is about. It is a mini-drama to reinforce what really matters. And I believe that we are at a moment in history where we have lost our grip. On what really matters. And there are many, many reasons for that, but let me offer two. Number one, truth has been hijacked. And secondly, trivia preoccupies us. Truth has been, have you noticed how many people are saying these days, well it's my truth. i just got to tell you my truth. Really? My, what's this my truth stuff? There's no such thing as my truth or your truth. There's either truth or it's not true. Let me, let me tell you my truth. I, I've got one. I have decided that I am going to apply for a job as a stunt double for Brad Pitt. Yeah, baby. Why? Let me tell you my truth. I'm doing that because I think that me and Brad, we look very much alike. (laughs) Thank you for your support. (laughs) That's my truth, don't you mess with my truth. It's my truth, therefore it must be true. It's relativism, it's ridiculous. Truth is either true or it's not. (laughs) And You wanna know something embarrassing? Something embarrassing happened to me this week. Wow, they all said. Last night, I was supposed to record a video for our small groups after the service. Finished the service last night, driving home. I always call my wife to let her know that Joy is about to return to our household. (laughs) Brad's on his way home, honey. (laughs) She said, you're early. How come you're not recording the video? You know what I said? I said, honey, we don't do those videos in summer. we don't do those videos in the summer. I'm driving on snow. (laughs) She said, honey, it's February. I said, oh, it's no good me saying that's my truth. It ain't true, to use poor grammar. We're drowning And then we're drowning in trivia. In 1985, Neil Postman published a book with a great title. It's called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And in the foreword, he contrasted the predictions about the future made decades ago by George Orwell in 1984. Anyone read that? We had to study that in high school back in 1820. And then Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, both predictions about the future. Orwell got it wrong. Huxley got it right. Orwell said books would be banned. Huxley said there'd be no reason to ban a book. Orwell said we would de- be deprived of information. And Huxley, decades before the avalanche of information that echoes that is the internet, He said there would be information overload. Orwell said truth would be concealed and Huxley said truth would be drowned by irrelevance. Orwell said we'd be a captive culture. Huxley said we'd be a trivial culture. This week on Instagram and I'm embarrassed to tell you, please don't get upset, but in the 8:30 service I mispronounced that and I called it Instagram. <laughs> and now I repeated it. What's wrong with me? This week on Instagram someone published a photograph of their salad. What freaked me out is that within an hour, a million people had viewed it. We are drowning in trivia. Richard Forster wrote a great multi-million seller book, Celebration of Discipline. He began the book with these words, superficiality is the curse of our age. In a recent interview, He said, I'd like to change that these days. Distraction is the curse of our age. There's a quote on screen from Ronald Rolheiser, he said, we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. Truth and irrelevance, trivia. So what really matters? Well, first of all we see from this that what really matters is being with Jesus, being with Jesus. In the evening Jesus arrived with the twelve. What's he prioritizing is his last night he is with his friends. Now we touched on this during the Advent series, but it's wonderful that Jesus called his disciples and us, if we're his followers, he called us his friends greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. And we saw that in the Old Testament there is only one person who is called a friend of God. Only one person has that privilege. That's Abraham. And Abraham is celebrated as a friend of God in Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 8. And we read in James chapter 2, Abraham believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness, he was called God's friend. Dare I say that if you are a friend and follower of Jesus, he looks at you with the same love and affection that he did with Abraham, father of the faith. And we can forget that. I wonder what the first Bible verse was that you memorized if you're a Christian. The second one that I memorized was John 3.16. The first one was Jesus wept, because it's easier. (laughs) For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes on him would not perish but have everlasting life. The thing is this, sometimes it's easier to believe that God loves the world than it is to believe that God loves me. Let's think about this. Jesus is the one who has had everything. He didn't begin his existence when he was born in Bethlehem. He is the eternal one who has always been. Everything that was made was made through him. Without him nothing was made that was made, John chapter 1. He's had everything, the throne of glory, every, every, everything you could possibly want. But there was one thing that he had after the cross that he didn't have before the cross. that was the potential of being able to call you and me friends. Because the Bible says before, we were enemies of God. But what Jesus did at the cross changed all of that. Archbishop Tutu said, God created us not because he is lonely and needs us, but because he loves us and wants us. Why did Jesus go through all of this pain? Hebrews 12, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What was the joy? Well, it's sitting down again at the right hand of the throne of God, but part of the joy is being with us forever. You say, really? Yeah. Yeah. Luke 15 says there's joy in the presence of the angels in heaven when one sinner repents. And part of the joy is his friendship with us. That's so impacted me this week. You might want to try this. This week when I've come to prayer, I've started my prayers by saying this, Lord Jesus, my dear friend, it's changed my week. I came to preach this weekend and I said, Jesus, I am so glad we get to do this as friends. You're my Lord, you're my Savior, you're my friend. I also want you to know that Clara and Ender and Justin declared their friendship with Jesus with such celebration in baptism. How wonderful to witness that. By the way, you can be baptized in water. We're doing that at Easter. Come to the class on Palm Sunday. If you've not been baptized, that's the next step as a follower of Jesus. But I want you to know that at the end of this service, a few minutes from now, there'll be an opportunity for you to become a friend of Jesus if if that's what you like. Because friendship begins with yes. Already over the course of this weekend, I think last night in our first service this morning, around 20 people have said yes to Jesus, and shared in communion for the very first time. And guess what, guess what? Not because you're here, and certainly not because I'm here, but because the Lord is here. It's going to happen again this service, just letting you know, (laughs) it is. What matters most, friendship with Jesus. What really matters, secondly, is traveling together traveling together as they were at the table eating. Now, Passover was a family meal. Sometimes two families would join together, but it's basically a family event. And Jesus is showing us that in walking with him, we become part of a family. Philip Yancey in his book, Vanishing Grace, summarizes the theme of the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation with this statement, God gets his family back. Fellowship, being together. If you were an early Christian in the New Testament church and you were bringing shame to the name of Jesus, you know how they got your attention? They denied you fellowship. Because they prized fellowship so much. They saw it as so precious and so valuable. See, when we invite Jesus into our lives, he comes and he brings his friends with him. Now, here we go again behold it is election year. We're preparing a sermon series to help equip us for this year. We need to guard our unity and our respect for each other but can I, can I, I've done this before you're gonna go here he goes again. Let me look into the camera, (laughs) sir you in those Walt Disney pajamas foundly attractive. Thank you for tuning in today. Can I just say seriously to those of you that are watching online, if you are watching online because you live somewhere in a distance, in the distance, and you can't get here personally, keep doing that, won't you? And if you're watching online because of ice and snow, or because you're sick, or because you just, whatever reason that genuinely prevents you from being here then keep watching online we're developing more resources for you at the moment but if you're watching online just because you you know it's awkward wearing your pajamas to church come on back come on back because there is something Profoundly beautiful about standing shoulder to shoulder with your family when life renders you speechless. Come on back. What really matters? Fellowship together. Thirdly, what really matters? Faithfulness in dark times. Faithfulness in dark times. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. Now that walk to the Mount of Olives took about 15 minutes, Gethsemane at the foot of the mount. How do you walk to agony and trial and a terrible execution? How do you do that? How do you suffer? Now that's a massive subject, but let me make one observation. I'll tell you what Jesus did. He affirmed the goodness of God because they sang a hymn. The Passover hymn was the Hallel, Psalm 113 through 118, and they would save Psalm 118 to the end of the meal. So we now know what Jesus declared before he walked to Gethsemane. We're going to declare these words together, and what's going to happen is this, just a few of them. I'm I'm going to begin it, and then you're going to say the words that are italicized. look confused, the slopey ones. Are you ready? You ready? Okay, here we go. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. I mean reasonable but frankly not fitting in exuberance and volume for the words that we are saying together, so do better. Here we go. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. Oh, that's so good let Israel say his let the house of Aaron say his let those who fear the Lord say his and then the very last line just before they walked out the door having stood with his friends who were all saying God is good 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 his very last line let's say it together give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever." God is good. Peter Kuzmic, a missiologist, theologian, was talking to a Ukrainian student, not a believer, showed her a series of photographs and said, which of these photographs resonate with you when you think about the idea of God? And she picked a photograph of a hand with a lizard on it, and the lizard was biting the hand. That was her view. William Barry says, we all have our own default view of God. Please hear this. Our basic idea of what God is like emerges not when life is good, but when it's really bad. That's why when we are suffering, we need to affirm not just the existence of God, but the character of God. Now, let me, let me be really personal and a bit vulnerable, if I may. Many of you know that some months ago, my wife Kay uh, was given an antibiotic back in England and her liver enzymes went to 28 times normal. One in 20,000 experiences liver failure. She's that one in 20,000. She was fluorescent yellow with the jaundice. And this week our family doctor told us that someone with 28 times the right score in his lifetime of medicine, he's near retirement, he'd never seen anyone survive that. That was the situation. And I am kind of embarrassed to make an admission to you because I kind of panic. We have an arrangement in our marriage. Kay takes care of prayerful peace and I take care of the screaming. It's worked really well for us over the years. But not only was I screaming, but I'm embarrassed to tell you that a default view of God emerged. And I'm like, God, are you doing this to us because of something that I've done. You're getting even. You're vengeful." I mean, I didn't think it was anything Kay did, because she's a lot nicer than me, so it'd probably been me. Or, God, are you indifferent to this? Or, God, did you, is this part of your plan? Even though Jesus never once said to someone who was suffering, this is part of the plan. And it's not what we think, it's what we feel. That's what emerged. Let me illustrate that. On my way here to the office this week, I'm driving along Harmony. And you know that moment when you're driving at the speed limit? Yes, indeed. And the green light turns orange, yellow, amber. I don't know, I'm colorblind anyway, but it changes color. And how many know what I'm talking about? You have that moment of Decision. Do I put my foot down? Or do I slam on the brake? Do I go through or do I stop? So I made a split-second decision. I'm going through and I went through legally although barely All I know is as soon as I went under that light, I know it turned red. It was then that I saw the police car right behind me and he'd stopped at the light And I turned right onto Timberline, heading here, and now he is behind me. And he's tapping something into his screen. How do I know? I'm studying him in my mirror. I'm like, he's putting my registration onto the screen. We're about to meet for a happy little chat. Then I realize, I'm almost here at Timberline, and so I'm going to pull onto the parking lot, hotly pursued by law enforcement. Pastor Brent, sitting here, is going to see that. I will never forget it. It will be a moment of celebrated mirth for all eternity. What can I do to avoid this public humiliation? I decided that there was an apartment block that I really needed to investigate. (laughs) I've never been in that area before and I thought now is a great time. Not trying to avoid the officer, but rather thinking at least we can have a little chat in private where Brent can't see. So I pull in and I wait. He drives on. He wasn't looking for me at all. But I was shaking. I was like uptight. And that was my default view of God in the beginning of this season. Kay had a scan this week. Not 28 times anymore. Five or six times more than normal. But the ultrasound scan reveals that her liver is normal, unscarred, healthy. She hasn't been here since July, but she's sitting over there right now for the first time. <laughs> she's shaking her. I'm sorry, honey, but forgiveness is easier than permission. I learned about myself. What's your default view of God? All right, fourthly, what really matters? Responding to the world's groans. Responding to the world's groans. Jesus said, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. That's the Matthew version. That signals to us that the disciples are not there just to have a nice little time with Jesus. They're world changes in the making. They are going to change the world as the kingdom of God gradually comes. Years ago we used to sing a song, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And I know what we meant when we sang that song, but here's the problem. The church historically can have a tendency to turn its back on the world that God loves. But when we truly walk with Jesus, we will see the world in all of its beauty and its brutality and sharper focus. So how can we change the world? Because it feels like so much. Here's a clue, listen to the groans. say, what? Sounds kind of weird. Well, here's what Romans says. Romans says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning. As in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time, creation is groaning for the coming of Christ, even though it doesn't know it. And we hear the groans of, of the poor and the, the homeless. We hear the groans of those who've never heard the message. We hear the groans of the persecuted church. Why do we have you count that we recently celebrated? Because Greg and Vicky and their marvelous team. They have heard the groans. And they can't hear every groan, but I believe that if we will open our hearts, God will allow us to hear a groan that we might respond to. You say, that sounds like hard work and a bit of pain. Whoever thought that life was about navigating an existence where we'd be impervious to pain? When Jesus healed the leper, He gave him the gift of pain back. We're not called to live our lives just for the giggles but also to listen to the groans. What really matters? Maybe even in this week we could say, God, what are the nudges, the groans that you would want me to respond to? Well the last thing is this, what really matters? Giving our RSVP to God. Giving our RSVP to God. Look at what Jesus says. As they were at the table eating, Jesus said, i tell you the truth, one of you eating with me here will betray me, greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, am I the one? Um, I, don't, I don't speak much French, bonjour, hello, monsieur, sir, herb, herb. When I, when I go to France, um, what I do is I speak English with a French accent. It really impresses the locals. Hello! How are you? <laughs> with my limited French, I can tell you that RSVP is a French phrase, répondez, or répondez, s'il vous plait, respond if you please. But sometimes we kind of want to draw near and respond to God, but we don't feel worthy. But look who's around the table at the Last Supper. Look at this picture. There's Jesus back there in the middle, and uh, there's all these guys sitting around him with goldfish bowls on their heads. You say, that's irreverent. Yeah, deliberately because it's not true. The the suggestion is they're all kind of glow-in-the-dark super saints. (laughs) Judas would betray Jesus but they all did. They all did. This text says they all drank, they all swore allegiance to Jesus, they all fell away and they all fled. One commentator rather brutally says this supper is attended by traitors and cowards. With the obvious exception of Jesus, they're all messed up. And not only that, they're arrogant with it. Because they say, surely it's not me. And guess who's the worst? The worst among them in his arrogance is the guy chosen to stand up on the day of Pentecost, Peter. He's the worst. Because what does he say? He says, even if everybody else denies you, almost it, yeah, I get it. Losers. Yeah, even if they all deny you. There is one who won't do that, Jesus. That's me, Because <laughs> often we shout loudly about that which we're most insecure about. But despite that, despite their failures, they're world changes. invited to the mill. And Jesus said, all of you will desert me. The Greek word for fall away there, desert me, is scandalizing. We get the word scandal. Some of us have had people get in our faces and they have said, you're a scandal just a scandal what you have done is nothing less than scandalous and Jesus addresses his friends and says it's a scandal group but don't back away from him because if we come to him maybe having fallen for the 65th time, and we go, can God forgive me again? Well, if he told his followers to forgive 70 times seven, not a mathematical calculation, but a metaphor for forgiving endlessly, do we think he's going to be anything less than us, with us? Not an excuse to sin, that would be ridiculous, but an invitation to participate. And if you've Been branded scandalous. You're still welcome. So we're going to pray now, and in this prayer, there'll be a moment those who want to become followers of Jesus not just asking him to bless you to help you out, get you through this season provide for you, no, it's much bigger than that this is, let's be clear this is turning our lives over to him surrendering to him, inviting him to take charge, this is becoming a follower and for for the guys who sat around that meal for most it meant martyrdom big deal. There's an opportunity to say yes. Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus, thank you for your beauty, your splendor, your loving kindness. Your love endures forever. We all pray that you would show us more of you as you really are especially for those who are walking a pathway of suffering and they have not had the good report yet. May they affirm your goodness by faith. Strengthen them to be able to do that. Lift them up. And now we come to that moment of prayer, that invitation to respond to the offer of friendship from Jesus. So if you want to do that, join those who have already made that step this weekend. Here is the prayer. I invite you to whisper it to the Lord. Jesus, I hear that you'd like to be my friend, and I would really like that. I don't understand what it ultimately means. But I'd like to turn things over to you now, I'd like to turn me over to you now. I ask you to forgive me, to cleanse me, to take charge of me. And at this moment, at 12.30 p.m. precisely, on a Sunday afternoon, I say yes to you. I say it in faith, believing that you will hear me and that you have heard me. Let's just keep our heads bowed. If you've just done that, if you've just prayed that prayer, I want to ask you to do something very simple to show now a brand new allegiance to Jesus. Because we're friends, we're not ashamed of them. But no big display here, as our heads are bowed, if you've just made that choice by praying that prayer, can I ask you just to slip up your hand and hold it there a moment and then put it down. And wave at me, please, so I can see you around the building. And around the place, I'm saying, I don't know, 15 or so people. Lovely children as well, responding. Jesus, reveal yourself to each one. We thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Can we celebrate some new members of the family? Can we give thanks to God for them? and let me remind you again you know what the next step is or one of the big next steps is baptism baptism being baptized in water but in the meantime let's see and maybe you didn't pick up the elements as you came in either because you forgot or because at that point an hour ago you weren't a Christian now you are and you can share let's see So let's stand together if we're able, let's stand. And at the sides of the building, at the back, there are these capsules with the elements in. And if you'd like to go grab one because you've just become a follower of Jesus or you just forgot, go grab one right now. Let's have a bit of chaos around the place. Lovely to see people going to to get those because we want to include you in this family meal. Wonderful. Let's take the wafer. And Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. Would you just say this one word with me? in this beautiful mini drama speaks to us a bloodshed for the forgiveness for our sins. For you, for me, let's just say together as we drink, me. So Lord we declare your goodness and your beauty, we declare it in word, we declare it in song, your love endures.
1: time we've had this morning I encourage you pay attention to that thought that stood out to you as Pastor Jeff was teaching that's the Holy Spirit putting that in your heart I have a tendency to forget things the moment I walk away but if you can write it down for me it was distraction what am I allowing to be distracted by that would keep me from what God wants me to do or where he wants me to be for those of you who said, I believe in the name of Jesus and you accepted him today as your friend and your Lord and savior. We have these packets up here. They're on each side of the stage. We'd like you to take this home as your journey with Jesus. And we're excited to journey with you. I wanna invite our prayer team forward. If there's something you would like someone to pray with you about, maybe it's something in your health, something you're going through financially or clarity in a decision. Please do not leave without having someone pray with you. It is an honor, truly. And I just want to say something we say often here at Timberline Church is let love live. Let's say that together. Let love live. God bless you guys. Have a great week.